Hello, this is Andrew Harrison from the Doomsday Watch Backroom team. We have a special event to announce. Doomsday Watch's first live Zoom is happening on Tuesday the 26th of April at 7pm. In an exclusive stream for Patreon backers, Arthur will be welcoming back our guest Dr Alex Clarkson to talk about what Russia's war on Ukraine has done to global stability, what might come next and much more. Plus we'll have time for your questions too. Search Patreon Doomsday Watch, sign up, and you'll get free access to this special event. We hope to see you there, now your regularly scheduled podcast. I'm Arthur Snell. A major war is taking place on the European continent with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, bringing you a series of special episodes to help you understand the crisis as it unfolds. This is Doomsday Watch. Welcome back to another Doomsday Watch War Bulletin. We want to start off by saying thank you for tuning in. Listeners like you are the bedrock of our work. If you're finding these War Bulletins useful, you can support us by backing us on the crowdfunding app Patreon. You'll get the shows early, ad-free, help us shape future episodes and get exclusive merchandise all from just £3 a month. Just search Patreon Doomsday Watch or follow the links in the show notes. One of the big questions around the war in Ukraine has been whether or not Russia would resort to the use of chemical weapons. To discuss that and help answer that question, I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Alistair Hay. He's an emeritus professor of environmental toxicology at the University of Leeds and has worked on chemical weapons for more than 40 years. Alistair, welcome. Thank you very much. Let's try to start with just a little bit of background here. In terms of the history of chemical weapons, and particularly Russia's history with chemical weapons, lots of people will be familiar with uh, recent uses by Russia of, for example, Novichok in the case of Salisbury. But where does that fit in in the longer story? How long have Russia had these weapons and how often have they used them? Well, Russia was a victim of chemical weapons uh, in the First World War. Uh, And in um, 1915, uh, was attacked by Germany uh, and essentially exposed at that time to chlorine and phosgene, or her soldiers were. So Russia's experience of chemical weapons uh, is a, a very real one and very personal because there were many, many casualties from that time. Russia subsequently built up one of the largest arsenals of chemical weapons. And following the use of chemical weapons in the Middle East, between 1983 and 1988, between Iraq and Iran, and in which many civilians were affected, many countries came together to agree an international treaty outlawing the use of chemical weapons. And Russia signed up to that treaty. It's called the Chemical Weapons Convention. There are only four countries in the world that haven't signed that treaty now. But in signing the treaty, countries agreed to get rid of their stocks of chemical weapons, their declared stocks of chemical weapons, and Russia's stockpile of some 40,000 tonnes of chemical agent uh, was destroyed. uh, And it was acknowledged formally by the organization which oversees the Chemical Weapons Treaty. And that destruction happened in 2017. So officially, 
Russia should have no chemical weapons. But we know that, of course, Russia, um, all the evidence points to Russia as the source of the two, the chemical you mentioned earlier, the Novichok, which was used in the UK against the Skripals uh, and inadvertently poisoned two others, one of whom died, Dawn Sturgis, and was used against the Russian dissident Alexei Navalny. So Russia has a history and has form in this area, if you like. Yeah. Officially, um, it should have no chemical weapons. So that's really interesting. The Chemical Weapons Convention, if we've understood you correctly, uh, was signed during the Cold War. Countries on, on sort of all sides of the ideological divide committed to end the use of chemical weapons. And yet in much more recent times, we've got these case studies of the weapons having been used. So what's our best understanding of that? Uh, Is it that Russia did destroy all of its stocks and then restarted production, or it always kept a few back? Or how, how do we explain this anomaly? That's an extremely good question, and one that people have been scratching their heads over for quite some time. When the treaty was agreed in 1993 and became international law in 1997, countries were obliged to get rid of their stocks within 10 years. Two countries couldn't meet that deadline, that is the United States and Russia, because their stockpiles were so large, the complications of destruction were so um, manifest and and considerable, uh, and so both countries had extensions for the destruction um, timetable. Russia met her um, final deadline. The United States hasn't quite met its deadline, but should have destroyed the last of its stockpile by 2023. The destruction then is of stocks that were officially declared. So these were obvious munitions, obvious facilities where the weapons were made. They had to be destroyed too. And the destruction took place under supervision by an international inspectorate of the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. Countries may not have declared everything. They may have held something back or they may have continued to work in particular areas. Syria is an example in point um, where it clearly didn't destroy everything it had when it was forced to sign the Chemical Weapons Convention in 2013. So it's possible that Russia has held something back or that it's continued to make something, but in relatively small quantities, because the Novichok nerve agent that was used against both the Skripals and Navalny is exceedingly toxic, lethal in very, very small quantities. So you don't need an elaborately large chemical facility for making something like the quantity of Novichok used to attempt to kill the Skripals or Navalny. Yeah. So I'm sure Russia has continued to work in this area, as have many other defense laboratories, and you are entitled under the Chemical Weapons Convention to make small quantities of lethal chemicals for analytical purposes, for detecting if these things might have been used against you and for calibrating instruments, but also for making antidotes, etc. Yeah. 
whether Russia, um, well, I'm sure Russia has done all of those things, but maybe may have done a bit more. We don't know. Yeah. So that helps us to understand uh, how it was able to continue to use these types of weapons in recent years. Um, you you use the term there, nerve agents. What is a nerve agent? What what does it do, and how does it work? Well, the Novichoks are part of a family of chemical weapons that were first developed in the Second World War in Germany, and essentially they paralyze the nervous system. They block an essential enzyme in the nervous system called acetylcholinesterase, which regulates messages between nerves and muscles. The effect of the blockade of the nerves is that muscles go into spasm, and that is all of your muscles, the muscles that control your breathing, your vision, your gut, the muscles controlling your ability to stand and walk or, or exercise. Of course, the most crucial ones um, are those which affect your breathing. Uh, and if someone has inhaled or been exposed to a lethal dose, um, breathing is severely compromised uh, and death can be very rapid. The onset of symptoms depends very much on the dose. It also depends on the route of administration. If you inhale something, inhale a lethal dose, death could be in a matter of minutes. If it was penetration through the skin, it may be a matter of hours. But it's a very horrible experience for anybody has, who has been exposed and absolutely terrifying for all of them. Yeah. In the cases that, that you've mentioned there, so both the Salisbury uh, poisonings and also the attempted assassination of Navalny, clearly these chemicals or, or this type of chemical was being used to target individuals. It was a weapon of, of a sort of targeted assassination r rather than a sort of battlefield type scenario. Is there a plausible or, or kind of feasible use of a Novichok-type weapon in a combat situation as distinct from a targeted killing? Uh, well, clearly there is. And the Russians and the United States both had stockpiles of other types of nerve agent, um, which were, if you like, of comparable toxicity to the Novichok chemical used on the Skripals and the Valny. Yeah. And they had these in shells, uh, which could be fired by um, guns on the battlefield. They had them in bombs, which could be dropped from aircraft. Some were in rockets as well. Yeah. We, we need to talk about Russia's war in Ukraine. There was a, a sort of spate of discussions. Uh, it seemed to be, to some extent, led by the US government, perhaps having access to some intelligence. Obviously, we, we don't know the full details. But there seemed to be a suggestion that the possibility of chemical weapons usage, you know, may have been uh, under consideration by, by the Russian leadership, by President Putin. Um, what's your best understanding of where the Russians might be on that question at the moment? All I can do is think about the discussions I've had with colleagues on this um, and with uh, some official sources. It has certainly stood back and supported Syria's use of chemical weapons uh, in the war in Syria. And Syria has used chlorine in large barrels 
um, they were called barrel bombs, um, yeah. on many, many occasions. Um, over some 200 instances have been documented by human rights groups, and the use of chlorine has been confirmed. So Russia has supported an ally in the use of chemical weapons in Syria. Yeah. Whether it would actually resort to their use itself, I think, is something that we don't know for certain. What prompted the concern was Russia's repeated claim that Ukraine um, and some other former Eastern European countries had laboratories that were working on what it considered, what Russia considered, were biological weapons. The United Nations recently said it had absolutely no evidence that Ukraine had any laboratories involved in biological weapons work at all. It was all public health work. Right. And of course, in in the light of the events of the last two years, I think most people have, have started to understand that there may be lots of public health laboratories all over the place and, and, and you know, be very happy to know that they exist. Absolutely. Uh, and, and they're essential for um, the health of all of us. But it was Russia's claim that these laboratories were working on biological weapons issues. Biological weapons, of course, being weapons where in which diseases, bacteria and viruses or the toxins from bacteria are used deliberately to harm people. It was Russia's claim that these biological weapons were being used or, or being researched in laboratories that concerned many countries. I don't know, maybe Russia was just um, muddying the waters, trying to unnerve other countries. Uh, we don't know. Um, yeah. for certain. Of course, uh, the Syria case study tells us that there's a track record of after the use of these weapons, then accusing the other side of having done it to themselves as a kind of false flag to to try to discredit or in some other way un- undermine, in that case, the Syrian government. So I suppose there could have been a, a situation in which chemical weapons are used by Russia. Russia then immediately uh, confects a story in which they say the Ukrainian government did this as a way to discredit Russia. Yes, absolutely. Um, and these false flag operations um, you know, could be the pretext for um, you having to respond in kind. For example, you, you, Ukraine uses chemical weapons, Russia feels um, threatened, and therefore it needs to respond in kind. Yeah. Um, one of the things countries have been keen to, I suppose, really put out more clearly is the fact that responding in kind is not appropriate. There was an initial treaty outlawing chemical weapons following the extensive use in the First World War, and that was called the Geneva Protocol. Mm. And the Geneva Protocol agreed in 1925 forbade the use, the first use of chemical weapons. But many countries signed that treaty and said, um, we will never use these um, to start with, but we might be attacked with them. So we want to be able to respond in kind. Yeah which was why many countries ended up with huge stocks of chemical weapons, and the UK had stocks as well, most of which it destroyed in the 1950s and 1960s. So when the Chemical Weapons Treaty was agreed in 1993, 
uh, one of the things that made absolutely certain was that all stocks were destroyed and countries had an obligation to destroy these and under international supervision. Uh, and Russia was party to that. So if you like, I think what countries are trying to do and sending a message to Russia is to say, you signed this treaty in good faith. We hold you to the obligations of this treaty and what you signed up to. So one of the questions around this, again, perhaps trying to learn a little bit from events in Syria, as I've understood it, there's a degree to which the Syrians have used chemical weapons uh, some have argued because they lack other weapons, and and you know Syria is not a particularly highly sophisticated uh, you know military organization, and chemical weapons are relatively easy to produce, particularly the ones that they use, such as these chlorine barrels that you described. Um, is that correct? And in the case of Russia, I, perhaps that argument wouldn't apply. What, what what's your feeling on that? I think there are a number of issues here. First of all, Syria had to get rid of uh, the stocks that it did have of chemical weapons. It was forced to sign this chemical weapons convention in 2013. Yeah. Uh, was forced to sign it reluctantly. It was dragged kicking and screaming to the table and had to sign under threat um, of attack by the United States, uh, amongst others, possibly. Yeah. Uh, and so it, had, it has always been a reluctant supporter of the Chemical Weapons Convention. Um, and many inspections of Syria's chemical weapons capability have been found wanting because Syria has not been truthful in disclosing um, all its capability. But chlorine is a chemical that it is, is ubiquitous. It's needed for purification of water. So there's ready access um, yeah. to chlorine in, in most countries. Um, so it, it was crude, but because of um, access, relatively easy for the Syrians um, to use it. Yeah. Syria, of course, had a monopoly of the airspace, so it could drop these agents. And it used them as weapons to terrorize people. Um, so it would drop the agents in locations where it was perhaps more difficult to shell something or drop a bomb and of course, chlorine being heavier than air, um, if you drop it somewhere, the chlorine will just fill all of the air spaces in every depression. Yeah. Of course, it would be relatively easy for the Russians, if they so desired, to do the same. The technology of the barrel bombs is very simple. Um, Russia has, of course, been involved in making far more sophisticated weapon systems. Uh, and if it wanted to, it could make those. The hope, of mm. course, is that it won't resort to that. Yeah. So I suppose then, uh, and coming slightly towards the end of our time, we ought to try to consider whether there are circumstances in which Russia might resort to this. We, we know that Russia will use these weapons in, in certain contexts. It appears in sort of what we might call political assassinations. Is it feasible that if, for example, Russia's war was going very badly, I mean, you could say perhaps that's already happened, would it be possible that they would use chemical weapons in that context? 
or as a as a form of escalation or is it is it not possible to predict or understand the, the context in which it might be used um, for me i think it's not possible to predict that one um there's so much rhetoric in this conflict. Uh, of course, uh, fairly early on, um, Putin reminded people that Russia was a nuclear power. And of course, that rattled cages everywhere. Yeah. The very idea that um, somebody might resort to something like this where the casualties would just be um, off the scale. Yeah. Chemical weapons are not in the same category as nuclear weapons. They do not cause anything like the same number of casualties, but they are indiscriminate. Um, and it was the effects on civilians uh, in the Iraq conflict, and particularly when Iraq attacked its own Kurdish population, that made it abundantly clear to the world that when chemical weapons uh, were used in the future, and this was after the 1980s, that the civilians would be the ones who would bear the brunt. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that is another reason why nobody wants to see chemical weapons used. Troops have protective clothing. It makes it incredibly difficult to wear protective clothing and fight in an environment where the contamination may have um, occurred and chemical weapons have been used. But at least troops have that protection. Civilians don't. And so it would be to terrorize the population, that there might be a resort to the use of chemical weapons. Yeah. One can only hope um, that that is a step and would be a step too far for Putin. But who knows? I mean, he's made steps that most people thought were just not possible um, mm. in this conflict. So um, when push comes to shove, it's difficult to know what the man will decide and, and what he will do. Um, one can but hope and at least be prepared. Um, so um, there are efforts underway to ensure that the Ukraine, Ukrainians have training, um, they have the ability to detect possible use of these, they have some protective gear, but um, it's difficult to know where these things might be used. So getting all of those resources to everybody who may be affected is a big task. So I think all you can do is help you, Ukraine, prepare for a possible use, but hope that it will never come to um, a situation where chemical weapons are used. Yeah. So my final question, uh, this may seem slightly strange to you, but I think it's important that we, we cover this area. And this is to do with uh, Western countries, NATO countries, and chemical weapons. Now, it is widely stated that that these countries don't have any, any such weapons at that these stocks have been destroyed, then I personally am perfectly prepared to accept that. But there are people who uh, say, well, if the Russians said they destroyed theirs and they still had some, how do we know that the Americans don't? So how, how do we uh, answer that question as, I suppose, authoritatively as possible? Well, I, I think the only way that you, you can do that is by um, accepting that countries have been honest in declaring what they have. Remember that countries have such a wide variety of intelligence gathering abilities. It's quite difficult to have any large chemical weapons footprint without others being aware of it. Certainly, um, there would be a lot of intelligence collected over the years to ensure, if you like, that countries didn't have these 
But the Chemical Weapons Convention requires countries to have their defense laboratories checked. Um, they're allowed to have small quantities of chemical weapons, as I said earlier, for defensive purposes. These facilities are inspected every year by the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. And the organization also carries out hundreds of inspections of chemical industry worldwide. So one can but hope that that sort of international policing and surveillance that's going on, not just by the OPCW and The Hague, but by individually by countries looking at what their neighbors or their enemies might be doing, yeah. provides enough of a picture to give us an idea of what another's capability might be. I think on that basis, we, we have no evidence that other countries, any other countries have significant chemical weapons stockpiles, not at all. But of course, you know, there is always the possibility, but I think it's a very remote one that any other countries have chemical weapons. It would be diplomatically incredibly difficult for them if they were found to have chemical weapons when they declared and have declared openly that they have none. Well, that uh, seems like a very good point to uh, draw this really comprehensive and informative discussion to a close. Uh, Alistair Hay, thank you very much uh, for joining us for Doomsday Watch. You're very welcome. We hope you find these war bulletins valuable amongst the huge amount of information out there. So don't forget to subscribe and help spread the word by rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any other app that has ratings. And if you really like the show, you can support us on the crowdfunding app Patreon. You'll get the shows early, ad free and help shape future episodes, all from as little as £3 per month. Just search Patreon Doomsday Watch or follow the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.